What's going on, everybody, and welcome into Bet to Win on this fine Monday. I'm your host, Joe Fan, from the Blue Wire Studios in Win Las Vegas. Hope you all had a great weekend. The sports remain elite with the NBA playoffs, the golf every weekend. We've got F1. My Mariners are 10 and 6. And of course, it's NFL Draft Week. We'll have my guy, Trevor Sikama from Pro Football Focus, here to preview the first round and the draft at large. Uh, but first, I've got a victory lap to take because the Warriors' money line cashed on Thursday. They won game three. They did lose game four. We'll get to an entire series recap for all eight series in just a moment. But the Warriors uh, not only won that for me, so I got I ended the two-game losing streak in my winning picks. Needed a win, but also had a six-leg parlay. That was the final leg and cashed that as well. Um, so we love that. Uh, and there's lots more to come as these first round, the first round of these NBA playoffs continue to roll on. Um, I want to run through real quickly before we get to Trev where each series stands. You have a couple of series, uh, four in fact, that are all but over. I guess there's five, but we'll save one for the end. Um, all these series at 3-1. The Raptors uh, uh, save themselves from a sweep. They beat the Sixers 110-102. They're now down 3-1. Um, the series is still over. Fred Van Vliet is now out uh, with a hip flexor strain. Scotty Barnes is back. That's been big for them. And Joel Embiid playing with a torn ligament in his right thumb will have surgery after the season. That might impact their chances of winning the title. I don't think it impacts their chances of winning this series. The Sixers should win. They probably will win uh, in game five back at home. Uh, the Nuggets, same situation. Saved themselves of a sweep, but probably a gentleman sweep coming in game five. Uh, they beat the Sixers, or not the Sixers, the Warriors on Sunday, 126-121. Jokic. A monster game, 36, 8, and 6 stat line for him. The Bulls are kind of a bummer because they played so well in Milwaukee. They competed in game one. They covered with ease. And then they won game two quite convincingly and then have uh, gone on to get blown out in both home games. So if you're a Bulls fan who were fired up, the Bulls steal home court advantage in the early going and then just get smoked that series at 3-1. You expect it to be a five-game series now. Giannis, 32-17-7 and seven in game four as the Bulls get absolutely stomped at home. 119-95, the final there. And the Heat dominate the Hawks, 110-86 uh, after the Hawks stole game three. That series is now 3-1 going back to Miami. Again, all three of those series, all four of those series, you probably expect to be uh, ending in five games. Um, they have a handful of series that are now three-game series. The Jazz, man, these, this team has been absolute hot garbage in this postseason, and somehow they are two and two. Um, Late-game heroics from Donovan Mitchell, despite having a, a largely terrible game. If you were a, a moron like me who bet Donovan Mitchell's uh, points prop at 30 and a half, you were feeling good uh, on Saturday when he had 12 in the first quarter, and he finished with just 23. Brutal, but he did actually pass to Rudy Gobert for the game-winning alley-oop. Luka Doncic uh, and the Mavs, terrible execution down the stretch. Uh, got a terrible shot off at the buzzer, and the Jazz find a way to stay in the series. It goes back to Dallas for game five. Uh, another team that's lucky to be 2-2, and that's the T-Wolves and Grizzlies. Uh, the T-Wolves are uh, won game four after egregiously blowing a 20-plus point lead really on two different occasions in game three with the Grizzlies coming back and stealing that game. Uh, that series going back to Memphis. Carl Anthony Towns finally showed up in the series, 33 points, 14 boards, and three assists in that game four win. 
And then maybe the most intriguing series of the first round, the Pelicans beating the Suns handily. 118-103. Jonas Valanciunas, 26-16. and 16. Brian Engram, another 30-point game to go with four boards and five assists. And then you've got this, this out-of-nowhere storyline of undrafted rookie Jose Alvarado against CP3, a thorn in the, the point guard's side. You got him and Herb Jones, both of those guys, a little Pat Bev in them, and I mean that in the nicest way possible. They're a pain in the ass, and the Suns are, are feeling that every time down the court with Jose Alvarado and Herb Jones in the best moment of the game. Outside of, you have two. If Jose Alvarado swiping Chris Paul from behind, leading to a layup for Herb Jones late in that game, places going nuts. But then you also have late in that game, Herb Jones gets knocked down under the basket. CP3 offers him a hand to help him up. And Herb Jones curbs him, says, nope, I'll wait for my teammates to come help me up. Sending a message to the 36-year-old future Hall of Famer. Uh, This is a team that is absolutely fearless. They're well coached. Willie Green has done an unbelievable job. It's it's incredible. They won two playoff games or two play-in games even to get to this series. They almost cover game one. They win game two. They compete in game three, almost come back and win that one, then dominate game four. This now a three-game series. Devin Booker is now walking through that door to save the Suns' butts in this one. And you've got two scores with Brandon Egram and, and CJ McCollum who can carry you. And you've got another you know cast of characters of young players who don't know any better. When you're playing with house money, that makes you a dangerous team. And so uh, really excited to see. I anticipate the Suns still finding a way to, to edge that series out. But I don't think anyone expected this series to go uh, five games, let alone six games, and possibly seven. Um, and let's get to the Celtics series. Brooklyn, the only team in the playoffs so far to not win a game. They are down 3-0 as the Celtics absolutely dominated the Nets. Ended up being 109-103. It's just because of a couple garbage time three-pointers at the end. The Celtics absolutely dominated that game in the second half um, and won comfortably. They now lead 3-0. Uh, they were three-and-a-half-point dogs again. Covered comfortably. Jason Tatum balled out 39-5-6. and six. Um, And I think we need to talk about, I mean, we could talk, we could spend all show talking about Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and how those two guys have completely no-showed. And I say no-show in a figurative sense because how lucky is Ben Simmons that those two guys have been so bad because he has no-showed in a very literal sense. KD and Kyrie, just 32 points in game three. That's stealing headlines, and deservedly so, because they haven't been near good enough. It's shocking to see Kevin Durant be so passive once again and be taking a backseat to Kyrie, and just again, not good. But then you have Ben Simmons, who is deciding once again to just quit on his team, and we've seen this move from Ben Simmons. He will not play in game four. Expected to play, now will not play. As Woj reports, he has a sore back. I mean, we're getting to the point where even his most ardent supporters have to be thinking this is some BS. I mean, it's insane. This is a man who saw the tweets that he could become the first player to ever play in back-to-back games and be eliminated from the playoffs in both of those games. And he said, nope. This man hasn't played in a year. You've got to do better than a sore back. Joel Embiid's playing through a torn ligament in his shooting hand. Robert Williams, who's playing in this series, returned for game three just a month, maybe over a month, of tearing his meniscus. 
A sore back? Whatever, whoever's leaking that to Woj did Ben Simmons dirty. Gotta do better than the sore back. You either A, release a statement explaining why you were just incapable from a mental standpoint of playing basketball, or you've really got to commit to the random injury. You know, you wake up and say, hey, coach, Steve, Mr. Nash, my L2 vertebrae is, I don't know what happens to L2, it's damaged. Better yet, it's just gone altogether. I don't know, it's missing. Someone stole it. I don't know, we called the cops, they're looking for it. Hopefully they find it after we, after we are eliminated of the playoffs. Or you go the Dustin Johnson route and say, hey, I fell down the stairs. So I was playing Scarface with my girlfriend and things got carried away. Or you say you still haven't emotionally recovered from Devin Booker stealing your girlfriend. I don't know. All of these are better options than you have a sore back. That can't be what you go with. I just don't know how he recovers from this. We're a full year into his public persona being tarnished. And he continues to not do himself any favors. This man was traded on February 10th. And he will end the season without playing a single game for the New York Nets. Brooklyn Nets, sorry. This man quit on LSU. He quit on the Sixers. Now he's stealing money from the Nets. $34 million this year. Couldn't be bothered to return for the playoffs and try to help his team. I mean, at that point, just call it a career and find another line of work, right? As far as I'm concerned. So what are we doing? Certainly not playing hoops. I don't get it. Shame on you, Ben Simmons. It's a bad look. Feel bad for Nets fans who uh, thought their team had a chance to win a championship. Uh, let's look at game odds for the upcoming slate. Monday, the Nets are one-point favorites against the Celtics. Total set of 220. Um, the, set, the Sixers are seven-and-a-half-point favorites returning home against the Raptors. Total set at 209-and-a-half. The Mavs are three-point favorites against the Jazz returning home. The first time the Mavs have been favorites in this series, not Luka Doncic is back in the lineup. That total set at 212 and a half. On Tuesday, the Heat are seven-point favorites against the Hawks. Total set at 218. The Grizzlies are six-and-a-half-point favorites at home against the T-Wolves. That series tied at two. Uh, total set at 233. The Suns are six-and-a-half-point favorites uh, against the Pelicans. A total set at 215 and a half. On Wednesday, the Warriors, eight-and-a-half-point favorites. They look to close out the Nuggets at home. Total set at 225 and a half. The Bucks minus 10 against the Bulls. Total of 218 and a half. And then there will be a Wednesday game five with the Celtics returning home against the Nets if necessary. Let's shift gears and talk NFL draft. It's in our back here, uh, backyard here in Vegas on the Las Vegas Strip. And here to join us is Trevor Sikama, pro football focus. My guy, a guy I've gotten to know for a long time. He used to be at the Draft Network, now does incredible work with pro football focus. You can follow him on Twitter at Tampa Bay Trey. He also hosts the NFL Stock Exchange podcast. He does it all. Is one of my go-to sources for draft knowledge. Trev, what's up, man? Thank you so much. I know this week is crazy for you, so I'm absolutely grateful for you to take some time here with us on Bet to Win. Yeah, dude, I appreciate you having me. As always, it's the most wonderful time of the year, as they say, for any football fan. So I'm just excited, man. Draft week finally here. I'm ready to get it going. It truly is. Uh, and I'm fired up. And it works out perfectly as we talk to you on this fine Monday morning. And you just released your final top 100 big board. And there are some notable, notable names in different spots, maybe different than what I guess there is no consensus this year, which makes this class fun, particularly as what's to right. come on Thursday with the first round. But you've got LSU corner Derek Stingley as your top overall player. Michigan edge rusher Aiden Hutchinson is down at seven. And Georgia edge uh, Trevon Walker all the way down at 15. The development Monday morning, he is now the betting favorite, Walker, um, to be the number one overall pick, surpassing Aiden Hutchinson. What do you make of how your big board compares to others? 
the movement in the betting lines, um, and just kind of the lack of consensus overall with this top 10, top 15 in the first round. Yeah, it's pretty crazy, right? I mean, you and I were talking a little bit earlier. Hey, there's so much uncertainty with this class. Is it because there's so many good players or is it because there's a lot of players that are kind of filling into the same category and a lot of teams just have different preference? I think it's more of the latter. And you look at my big board, I've got Trayvon Walker at 15 and I'm not even the lowest person on him that I know. You know, there's some people who have Trayvon Walker in the 20s and that's because yeah, he's an athletic freak. He has all the gifts in the world when you would want a guy on a football field to have, especially for his position along the defensive line. But the production just wasn't there. He's kind of a one-year real contributor to that to that George defense. And there are a lot of stars on that defense. So it's not impossible to think that he just didn't get the shine because there are so many other great players around him. But we've never seen any player go this high with this kind of lack of production, Trayvon Walker. So it'd be crazy if he goes number one overall. But I do agree that it seems like we're trending in that direction. And the guy that he's pinned up against, I don't even have as my number one overall prospect. Now, a lot of people do. A lot of people really like Aiden Hutchinson, and I want to make it clear. I think that he is a great prospect. I think he's going to be a fantastic pro. He's going to be in the NFL for a long, long time. The arm length just worries me a little bit because not to be a stickler for too many measurables and thresholds, but arm length is important for pass rushing. It is very important. Having that arm length and that ability to gain leverage and gain separation from offensive tackles you go up against those guys in the NFL, they only get bigger, faster, stronger, longer, everything. And so it's just a little bit of a thing to work to, uh, to to keep in the back of your mind, which is why I have him a little bit lower. But Derek Singley, number one, that's my, that is where I'm playing my flag. I, I get it. 2021, he was hurt. 2020, we know what the bad things were happening with LSU behind the scenes. It looked like nobody was focused in that program. If you go back to when he was fully healthy, when he had a reason to play good ball, 18 years old, true freshman. Not only does he earn a spot on that LSU team, but he starts. He might have been the best defensive player in the entire country. That doesn't go away. You give me fully motivated, fully healthy Derek Stingley. He's the best player in this class, no doubt. When you talk about these edge guys, whether it's Walker, Kayvon Thibodeau, Aiden Hutchinson, do any of those guys for you even kind of sniff the Bosa brothers, uh, Chase Young, the Miles Garretts in terms of, of, of the elite edge rusher prospects of years past? I don't, well, for them to not sniff it, I don't know. If, I don't know if I go that far because that 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 feels like a little too harsh on it. But you know, to answer your question, in a way that everybody likes to pose draft classes, where would these guys rank in last year's class? Right? If you put Aiden Hutchinson and Kayvon Thibodeau and Trayvon Walker into last year's class, like if you just plop them into last year's class, where do they go? I'd tell you they'd probably go somewhere between 10 and 20. Like, I don't think any of these guys would be going in the top 10. And for as much as Aiden Hutchinson has really good athletic numbers in a lot of the agility areas, I still don't think he's as good as the Bosa brothers were. You know, you could compare him in some ways, but I don't think that he's that caliber of a prospect. I don't think a Trayvon Walker is as gifted as a Miles Garrett or a Chase Young or something like that. I think Kayvon Thibodeau is really good. I have him as my top edge rusher in this class. I would put Kayvon Thibodeau higher and closer to those guys that are cemented as some of the best young pass rushers in the game. I'd put Kayvon Thibodeau more on that path than either of the other guys that are in the class. But ultimately, I, I don't think any of these three edge rushers would have been top five guys last year. Maybe Thibodeau, maybe Hutchinson as well, but probably more likely mid-first round picks that we're now going to see those guys be in conversation for number one overall in top five selections. And it just happens to be what the class is. Uh, if you're a team drafting, uh, kind of fill in the blank here for me. This is a good year to need X position and a bad year if you're looking for Y position. 
Oh, okay. Well, it's certainly a good year if you need an edge rusher. Look, I know I just said that there wasn't a Bosa, there wasn't a Chase Young or a Miles Garrett in this class, but this edge rush group is deep. I mean, you've got guys, not just Thibodeau, not just Hutchinson, not just Walker, but Jermaine Johnson, George Karloftis, Boye Mafe, Arnold Vicade, Drake Jackson. Like, I'm, I'm listing off guys that could be going anywhere within the top 50. And normally when you need edge rusher, you either take it in the first round or you're probably not getting the impact one the way that you want to. This year might be a little bit different because of how deep it is. I think offensive tackle is pretty deep uh, as well, especially at the top with Iki Aquanu, Evan Neal, and Charles Cross. I think those are franchise offensive tackles that you're going to see in the league for a long time. Bad year. I think it's a bad year to need interior defensive line, depending on what you think of Devontae Wyatt and Jordan Davis. It's definitely a bad year to need interior offensive line. So I think both interior spots of the trenches just a little light. And then if you're looking for a franchise full-time three-down running back, I don't know if you're going to find one in this class. Maybe a Brees Hall or a Kenneth Walker can really show up here and make a difference. But I think that those are about the only two that I can see as full-time backs. But there's no question about it, Joe. It all leads up to it's a bad year to need a quarterback. It just is. Yeah. There are things that you could like about different guys in this class, but ultimately... I don't really see any of these guys as franchise quarterbacks. I really don't. There's a couple that could, and I think there are a couple that have the ceiling, but they're still ways away from reaching that ceiling, solidifying that, and they got to go to the right spots. Ultimately, all those positions I said were a little bit light, but there's no doubt about it. The biggest glare on this class is that it's not a good year to need a quarterback. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned it because that was my next question. And I think it's, you know someone's going to go in the top 15, maybe multiple quarterbacks go in the top 15. It's going to be such a hard right. sell for those teams to their fan bases, given all we've heard for months and months is these quarterbacks are very iffy at best, um, which leads me to the question, who is the for first quarterback off the board and where does he go? I think it's between one of two guys. I think it's either going to be Kenny Pickett or it's going to be Malik Willis. And when I say that, I basically say either Kenny Pickett's going to the Carolina Panthers or the first quarterback off the board is going to be Malik Willis. I think that most of the other teams in the NFL realize that in this quarterback class, if you're going to take a chance on one of these guys in the first round, you got to swing for the fences. You might as well go for it all, if you will. Malik Willis gives you that high ceiling with the arm talent, the velocity of his throws, what he can do with his legs, all of that, man. I think that all of that is just such high caliber and his ceiling as a prospect is so high. The problem is, he is a ways away from getting that point. I've seen some people compare him to Lamar Jackson, but guys, Lamar Jackson won a Heisman. Lamar Jackson was so much more ready to jump and settle into the NFL than Malik Willis was. And we're talking about Malik Willis probably going a lot higher than Lamar Jackson did in a situation where we're comparing him to maybe be able to contribute right away. And that's just not going to happen. His offensive line at Liberty was absolutely terrible in front of him these last couple of years. And because of it, he does not have a lot of polish to his game. The pocket management, going through progressions, consistent accuracy, all that stuff needs so much work. He's two-ish years away from really being able to achieve that ceiling. And then you know, Pickett's the other guy. I think people talk about him as a potential QB1. I think Pickett's got a high floor. and You, you could be able to maybe start him next year and, and be okay with the results. The problem is that I don't know if this is a franchise ceiling for you. You, know, you, you look at conversations with guys like Jimmy Garoppolo, Guys like Kirk Cousins, now guys like uh, you know Carson Wentz, where we say like, yeah, they're okay, but are they ever going to win you a Super Bowl? That's the problem with me for Kenny Pickett. If you're picking this guy in the top 10, you think that he can win you a Super Bowl one day. I don't know if he has that ceiling. I think he's a good quarterback, but I struggle to find a lot better than good 
in Kenny Pickett's game. So, man, it's just yeah. all of those things. You know, I've talked about the two possible quarterbacks off the board, and uh, I think they've got drawbacks, both of them. And it's amazing how many teams are stuck in this neutral position where you got a guy that you can do so much worse, you know, name whatever right, yeah. average quarterback. You mentioned him, Kirk Cousins, Carson Wentz, chief among them. But you, know, you look at what else is out there, and you say, gosh, but we could do so much better. And finding that so much better, hard to do a great year in terms of average quarterbacks going high, supply and demand. It's a beautiful thing. Um, if you are an average quarterback in this year's draft. I want to go through some superlatives with you, go through some of the other names uh, in the first and second round here of this draft. Again, really exciting times. The draft is here in our backyard in Las Vegas. Um, give me the most polarizing player. You know, where is the jury out the most where some, some of your colleagues have them potentially top 15, top 10, top five? Others might say, hey, this guy's not even a first round pick. Who is the most polarizing player in this draft? Man, uh, I think certainly Trayvon Walker is certainly there. You know, I think the only reason we're talking about him the way that we are is because Jacksonville is considering him at number one overall on his ceiling. I think you're going to find a lot of people who have him more in the teens of their rankings, maybe even the 20s. Some people even just had him with second round grades on film. So I think that he's one that's that's definitely up for debate there. I think that Tyler Linderbaum's another one, the center from Iowa. You can either look at him and say, this is a really clean prospect who does everything well that you want to see from a, a center position guy. Or you could look at people who go, yeah, he's undersized though. He's 290. He's got short arms. Where do you play him? Where do you put him? I got him top 20 on my board. I have him number 20 overall. I know somebody who has him top five in this class because of how clean he is. Just he does what you want him to do very well. But shoot, you're seeing mock drafts. He's not even in the first round. He's a second round kind of a player, which is kind of crazy. I think he's all over the place there. I feel like people are all over the place with Jordan Davis as well. And that's the big one, right? Because, and I, full pun intended, I guess, the big one, because he's in the middle of that national championship Georgia defense, right? He's talked about as a potential best defensive player in college football. But he doesn't play as many snaps as a lot of other players would, just by nature of how big he was and his position as a nose tackle. But he's crazy athletic. Nobody is that big and moves that well. Nobody. What he was able to do with the combine, show us how athletic he was. You just go, this should not be possible, what he is doing. So he has that athletic ability to be more than just a run-stuffing nose tackle. But he didn't really see it at Georgia. He didn't play as much as you want. And then you watch those Alabama games. Alabama's running up-tempo on purpose to keep Jordan Davis on the field because he's gassed. He can't even play some of these plays. So does he have the conditioning? Is he ever going to have the pass rush profile? Because if, if you look at outside of that, unbelievable run defender, insane size to speed combination. Some people are going to have him as a top 10 pick in this class. Other people are going to tell you, hey, you don't drive to nose tackle that high. I got him in the 20s, maybe even early second round, which I don't think he goes there. But I think those are probably some of the most polarizing guys as I think from off the top of my head. I was surprised you didn't mention Kyle Hamilton because it felt like I've seen a lot of different opinions on him. Obviously, the tape tells you he's maybe the best player in the draft or one of them, his measurables tell you otherwise. Is he a case where we're starting to see the shift away from the, just the, the hyper focus on what the height, weight, speed is at the combine, the track star numbers and say, this guy you just put on the tape and he's a really good football player. Yeah, and I think that, you know, when you look at Kyle Hamilton, the reason why he didn't pop out immediately to me is because at least I think that no matter who you are out there, whether you're high on Kyle Hamilton or you're low on him, he's in your top 15. Yeah. Like, you're not dropping this guy below 15 in your rankings. There's yep. no way. He's not dropping below 15 in any mock drafts, I don't think. He could go as high as number two overall to the Detroit Lions. And I've seen that in some mock drafts. I wouldn't be betting on it, but it's in the conversation there. But, you know, you get further back. Eagles at 15, Ravens at 14, 
Um, Houston Texans pick at 13. I mean, all of those teams are just prime spots for, for, uh, for Kyle Hamilton. So, yeah, I think to your question, people are sleeping on him a little bit more because of the combine. And look, I think it was really because of unrealistic expectations, right? I mean, Kyle Hamilton goes to the combine and people go, oh, get ready for a Derwin James-like performance. Okay, calm, just calm down, okay? Derwin James was just such an alien at what he was able to do. Don't hold people to that kind of a standard. If they end up getting to that level, showing you that athleticism, cool, enjoy it. Don't talk about that stuff before it even happens, man. You're doing the player a disservice. Kyle Hamilton is great in his own right as a guy who could play as a single high free safety for you. Also, come down, really support the run towards the line of scrimmage. He's a smart football player. I, you know, he needs to clean up a little. There's some certain things where he's drifting in zone or whether he's, his angle to pursuit and tackles is a little too aggressive. But all of those things, that's tendency stuff that you can fix. Coaching will be fine with him. And I think he's a damn good football player. Who's been the biggest riser during the pre-draft process? Well, I, certainly Trayvon Walker has to be, right? When you look at uh, mock drafts in January, this dude wasn't even in the first round. And if he was, he'd be like kind of a throwaway pick in the 30s or the late 20s and people taking a chance on his athleticism. Now we're talking about him going number one overall. But, man, who else is a big riser now that I'm thinking of it? Jermaine Johnson's huge. I mean, he was another guy who back into the first round, early second round, kind of a guy out of Florida State, the edge rusher there, had an incredible senior bowl, performed really well at the combine. And now people are talking about him like a uh, top 15 lock in this draft. So I think he's huge. Sauce Garner has been a big riser, the corner out of Cincinnati, but that was more in-season as he was proving to continue to be a lockdown cornerback, more so uh, in-season stuff than draft season. But, man, those are a handful that uh, I think have been really big risers throughout this process. Daxton Hill, uh, the versatile secondary player out of Michigan, I think is a first-round and perhaps even top 20 kind of a guy at this point. My guy, who I've been pounding the table for for a long time, George Pickens, is the wide receiver out of Georgia who tore his ACL last March. Didn't get to play a lot this past season, but as a freshman and a sophomore, he was incredible for Georgia. They don't pass the ball too much because they normally got some big boys up front and really great running backs. But when they did pass the ball, they went to George Pickens and he gives you that size at six foot three, 210 pounds. He gives you the athleticism with the sub four, five speed, and he gives you that production, that mean mentality. He is an alpha and he's got wide receiver written all wide receiver one written all over him. And as people have kind of gone back and watched his tape before the injury, they've been like, all right, maybe this guy can do it here. So he's gone from a day two pick to, I think, somebody who could sneak in around one. In, in recent years, it feels like we've had chalk at the top, and then we've said the draft starts at pick four with whatever team, or pick right. five with whatever team. Right. And this year, it is much more ambiguous, given we don't even know who's going to go number one overall. And even just now on Monday morning of draft week, it's we've seen a switch from Aiden Hutchinson uh, to Javon Walker. Um, as the, the betting favorite to be the number one overall pick to the Jacksonville Jaguars. But I'm curious to you and, and your colleagues and in the draft community, which top 10 selection, uh, I'm talking which team at which pick uh, is intriguing you guys the most? There are a lot of good answers for this one. Obviously, Jacksonville controls the draft with what they do at number one. If Trayvon Walker goes number one, Aiden Hutchinson, you could write it in pen, is going number two. But if Aiden goes number one, I think that the picks that are the most intriguing to me are number three at Houston because Houston and Nick Casario, they just don't have enough of a draft history right now to know what their preference would be or where they're going. So I think that that's an unknown. Certainly what Carolina does is going to be massive for the draft because do they take a quarterback at six? If they do, is it Kenny Pickett? Is it Malik Willis? Will they trade back? Because after number six, they don't pick again until the fourth 
round because they traded their second round pick for Sam Darnold, the third round pick for CJ Henderson. So they don't pick again until the fourth round. And this is a team that has a lot of needs. So what they do, I think, is paramount towards what happens with the draft. Atlanta's a very unknown. They could go a variety of different directions. And then Seattle. I don't think you ever know what Seattle's going to do. I think they love their athletes, of course, but they've prioritized very different positions over the last couple of years. You know, picking linebackers or safeties or uh, interior offensive linemen or running backs specifically. Like when, when they just don't necessarily need them and are picking them over premium positions. So now that Seattle is a top 10 pick, what are they going to do? with They're normally a team that's not picking that high. So I think those are a handful of picks in the top 10 that depending on how they go, could have ripple effects that you see. Who's the best wide, who's the best wide receiver in the draft? I have Jameson Williams as my wide receiver one. And that's simply because what he brings to the table from a speed and athletic profile can't be matched by anybody else. Now it's a good wide receiver class for a long time. I had Drake London as my wide receiver one, who I also like, I'm a little bit nervous. The fact that he wasn't able to run a 40 and show how fast he was. I don't think he's nearly as slow as some people do, but speed definitely means a lot. Like even if he is just a contested catch wide receiver at the next level, I think he'll be fine. But if he can't really be that four or five speed kind of a player, then you're limited in a little bit of, of, of what you're doing with him in the imagination there. But ultimately I do. I think the Jamison Williams is that top guy in this draft, but there's so many great guys. I mentioned George Pickens, the two Ohio state receivers are fantastic as well. I've got five receivers in my top 25, top 21, actually, in my big board. And so it's a, it's a good year to need a wide receiver, I think. Not a ton of big wide receivers to love, but a lot of really skilled and talented wide receivers throughout. Trev, before I let you go, give me a bold prediction for Thursday night in the first round. <sighs> I still think the Saints are going to get extremely aggressive. I think they're going to take their two first-round picks and turn it into a top Five pick. That's my bold prediction. I think they're going to trade up in the top five. I'm targeting the New York Giants at number five. I think that that could happen. And then I also do not underestimate how aggressive the Steelers might be to go up and get Malik Willis. If the Carolina Panthers don't select Malik at number six, I think all bets are off for the Steelers to come up to any pick after that to go up and get Malik. I love it. I love it. He is a host and analyst for Pro Football Focus, also the host of the NFL Stock Exchange podcast. You can follow Trev on Twitter at Tampa Bay Trey. Hey, my friend, we have been buddies a long time. I've enjoyed these pre-draft chats for years and years. It's, uh, it's been fun to do it again, man. Thank you so much. Enjoy this week, sir, and congrats on all the hard work. I uh, appreciate it, Joe. Anytime, man. Enjoy the draft craziness being out there in Vegas. Yes, sir. We will enjoy the madness indeed out here on the Las Vegas Strip. It all starts Thursday night with the first round of the 2022 NFL Draft. Let's give away some money and I'll give away a winning pick and we'll get on out of here. Win bets. Bet 10, win 200 promotion rolls on. New win bet users can receive $200 in free bets after they make their first qualifying deposit and place their first bet on win, uh, on win bet. Once that bet is settled, you'll receive four installments of $50 free bets. Go to winbet.com or download the WinBet app for official rules and details. Winning pick time. We've talked hoops. We've talked football. And let's talk a little baseball. My winning pick, I'm going back to Old Faithful. That's the Blue Jays' money line at minus 120 against the Red Sox, looking to get my April record back to 500 here in these winning picks. Jose Barrios on the bump. He had two bad starts to open the year. It was really good last week against these Red Sox. Six innings. One earned six Ks at Fenway against Boston. Um, so they have a pitching edge here, uh, in my opinion. And they also have an immense edge offensively. Toronto ranks ninth in the early going of this season in WRC+. Plus. That's weighted runs created. Boston 
ranks 27th. Give me the Blue Jays. Not going to overthink this one. One of the best teams, potentially the best team in all of baseball. Blue Jays money line minus 120 at home against the Red Sox. That's going to do it here for us on this Monday episode of Bet to Win. The draft, uh, draft conversation will roll on on Thursday. The first round will begin that night. Thanks again to Trevor Sikama for joining us here on the show. Uh, immense draft knowledge from him. Uh, and I can't tell you enough how much uh, I enjoy his content. And he was just tremendous here on the show. Appreciate you all for joining us here as well as you do each and every Monday and Thursday. We will be back on Thursday. Uh, we'll see you soon right here on Bet to Win. <laughs>